Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing well, Asher. It's been a long, long, long time. I think this is the longest stretch we've had without a podcast. Yeah, I think we've been parting too much. I think too hard. <laughs> is that what they call it? <laughs> How's your summer been so far? You no, know, the truth is, it's it's been nice. We were away a couple of days. We saw Toronto, some great kosher restaurants in Toronto. And and then we are Niagara Falls, and uh, there's a Chabad, there's a kosher, good pizza, good fleshes. It's the season starting, so get yourself, you know, everyone to Niagara Falls, the Canadian side. And though actually, you know, I mean, it's not so podcasty, but walking around, crossing the the Ni- Niagara Falls State Park in the United States is gorgeous and beautiful. So it's a great walking area. So don't neglect United States, but uh, Canadian side, that's where the action is. So so we've gone on some short trips. It's been great. I'm tempted to say America first, but that's got too many bad connotations. <laughs> well, coming from Detroit, we actually go up through Canada. And so America second, but, but <laughs> no, it's been good. I've actually done some interesting conferences in AJC and the global impact forum of global leadership coalition, USGLC, you know, kind of, it's an amazing coalition. This might, might be more than you bargained for John, when you asked how my summer was. I but, thought I was just going to hear about hanging on the beach. Yeah, the well, there's we have the West Coast in, in Michigan, but this organization like brings together like odd couples, like you know people that want aid for Palestinians and for who knows what will be for global aid, and then people that want to support Israel fully. By the way, you can of course have both, but but so it brings together people that you really would not expect would be on the same page. Uh, but everyone interested in America's global leadership, which is so important. So great. It was really great conference. And there was a Muslim Jewish advisory council that I went to in D.C. with AJC. The, the head of Ethan Allen is the Muslim side. And then just the major, you know, hedge fund billionaires, the Jewish side. So now do you do you flex your I know you've got deep knowledge in Wahhabism and ancient Islamic thought. Do you flex that how much you know to those guys? Not so much. I, you know, I, I don't want to show off, you know, I, I you know, I'll, once in a while I'll throw something in a little bit, but I just let people talk, you know, throw in a little Quran and say, Hey, where do you know that from? Right. Right. Once in a, you know, an Ahlan wa Sahlan or Ma Salama or something a little bit. How was your summer, John? Do you eat some good stuff? Yeah. You know, most normal people have the barbecues, the beaches and stuff like that, which we do as well, but it's also, if it's summer, it must mean Holocaust in the law class, which Whoa. means every Tuesday night, I get, believe it or not, almost 15 students who are willing to spend three hours on a Tuesday night to hang out with me and learn about Holocaust and the law. So you know they're dedicated. This is not like teaching a banking law class where maybe they're half in, half out. This, you got to want it. Well, what kind of laws are, do you deal with in the Holocaust and the law? We do the German laws, Weimar Republic, the Constitution. We do all the Nuremberg trials, all 
13 of them. We do Eichmann. We do a guy named John Dumnyanyuk, who you may recall. Yeah. Yep. And he was he was charged in the U.S. and then in Israel and then U.S. and then in Germany. Yeah. Fascinating and, case where people's memories were, they thought they knew him as Ivan the Terrible, but he was just Ivan the Very Bad, apparently, right? That's exactly right. He was the Ivan not so great from Sobibor. And even recent pictures have surfaced showing him in Sobibor, which was also a horrific, you know, extern one of the extermination camps as opposed to the, you know, concentration camps where there was labor involved as well. These were pure killing machines. Sort of fascinating how German law evolved that they were going after those older Nazis under basically general domestic murder laws. And then, you know, when the archives of the Soviet Union burst open, they had a lot more people to find. Basically, the archives of the Soviet Union opened up and they realized awesome. they've got all these records of oh, all these Nazis. Oh, wow, wow. And then they also learned more about certain of those extermination camps, Belzec, Sobibor, Treblinka, that basically any guard who was there was involved in the killing machine. So they could get him for accomplice to murder. So they didn't need to pinpoint the individual to an individual crime. They just had to know that he was at the camp. And therefore, anyone at the camp was involved in the murder process. And they can, they are to this day, the Germans are going after, you know, 95-year-old Nazis who were involved. There was a an, the accountant of Auschwitz, Oscar Gröning, they went after recently. And wow. they're still going strong until the last man or woman. Wow, amazing. So important. And now, you know, there were you said you looked at Weimar law and the, the laws that the Nazi killing machine was based what was was i wouldn't say based on was on top of but did hitler and the killing machine and the nazis did they actually violate german laws or did they just use them right so in germany they stacked on laws upon laws the nuremberg laws you know restricting access to all sorts of jobs and and there were actually regulations on top of the Nuremberg laws it, it's anyone who knows american law would find this all very familiar there were supreme court cases in germany surrounding you know the law against having sex with a Jew, and what does it mean to have sex? And they believe it or not, I don't want to go into gory details, but suffice to say, they were parsing through what exactly that means. So anyone familiar with the American legal system would understand the the whole series of ways in which laws were interpreted back then. But that that's more in Germany. And then I think it's fair to say the reason why they set up these extermination camps, you know, at the outer reaches of, of right. Poland at the time, was basically they were lawless zones for for the most part. Right, right, the right. most interesting thing is there was a judge who worked for the SS named Conrad Morgan, who actually went after certain people, including the bad guy from Schindler's List, Amon Goethe, for uh -huh. excessive cruelty and for stealing from the Jews. Uh, wow. If you're a high-ranking Nazi, you can get away with stealing from the Jews, but uh, this guy, Amon Goethe, did not. So all sorts of amazing, fascinating stories. But what it means, unfortunately, is at the beginning of summer, Jen looks around the house and sees a bunch of books with swastikas, sees me watching every Eichmann and Demyanyuk movie that's out there. And, you know, she is, as a therapist, very worried about me. <laughs> well, look, I mean, this is important. I think this is important for contemporary law to understand how important the rule of law is and and how dangerous lawlessness is and uh, look we see it 
Mahav deal is totally different, but we see a lot of people that are not, you know, respecting the law. And today in our democracy, it's challenging, but I think it's, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that really saved this country. Let me just say from all these accusations of, you know, that the election was stolen was what, 61 court cases, every court case where the Trump people were beaten back. And uh, I don't know, you can love Trump, but, you know, got to respect the law. Yeah. And there we, we talk about that a lot in class are the lessons for today. And I, I'm really happy to say that not everyone in my class is Jewish. We have a few who are not Jewish. We have some who are involved in law enforcement. So it, it's really gratifying that people who are not Jews are interested in the subject. And we try to every step of the way, bring on guest speakers who talk about comparable issues in the modern military. I'm going to show them this great movie. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's like from the 70s. It's really cheesy. It's called The Wave. It's actually based on a true story where a professor in a high school class, I guess not a professor, I guess they're called just teachers, in a high school class basically mimicked uh, sort of the Nazi mentality. And he took his experiment a little bit too far. And we we show that to discuss groupthink. And so, you know, is, one of the things not like the blue eyed kids and the brown eyed kids or the they made them dr- dress differently. Yes. Yeah. Some some were like the enforcers. It's a great it's only an hour's, but it's a great movie. I hope they update it, actually, because it's a little cheesy, I think, for modern sensibilities. But it gets the point across. Wow. Incredible. That's I remember there was Eye of the Storm that kind of had a similar kind of thing of, you know, just teaching kids how to discriminate against other kids. Yeah. But, you know, movies have to move much quicker today. My kids were like totally Star Wars, like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I actually, and again, this is another reason why Jen thinks I'm nuts. I actually watched them at two times speed. <laughs> <laughs> you are so cool, I, man. I rewatched the Skokie movie in two times speed. It's only an hour. <laughs> <laughs> movie i remember yeah that was a great that was that was skokie oh my you you are you know john you was you, you're not living in skokie now but that was like iconic skokie was in 70 what 1977 when was that yeah that's right there were i i think the stats were there were 60 or seventy thousand people living there Thirty thousand were jews like eight thousand were holocaust survivors including my dad oh, so my it was oh, definitely a, a time then i mean i i think i mentioned this before in the podcast i thought that there would be tanks rolling down dempster street you know, when I heard their Nazis coming in town. And it was actually the impetus for the Illinois Holocaust Museum. That's now, you know, they used to be on a teeny tiny storefront. And now it's this big monstrous building by the highway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a very powerful museum. But I remember Danny Kaye starred in that. That was, yeah. I was living in Boston at the time. Yeah, it scarred people. But yet the result, the ACLU would also really damage the ACLU, because I think the ACLU defended the Nazi party, whoever was was marching. Yeah, and they, they lost a lot of money at it. Obviously, there are a lot of people who were who were Jewish in the ACLU pulled their funding. But, it, it, you know, the, it's a great movie. I mean, you get all these stars like Brian Dennehy, Danny Kaye, Carl Reiner. It, it was it's really funny to see these guys, you know, however many years ago. Eli uh, Wallach, Eli Wallach, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not I'm laughing. It was a very serious matter. But, uh, you know, there's always nostalgia with these things because actually no one was killed and no one was hurt. I mean, the argument was free speech. And uh, so what are your thoughts, John, on on 
being a, someone who grew up in Skokie and yet. You know, yeah, I had a, a pre, pre-law school me and post-law school me view on this. You know, pre-law school me said, of course they should march. And post-law school me, you know, maybe because I had an ACLU <laughs> professor for con law, he really drilled it upon us that, you know, this free speech thing, it can't be for me and not for thee. You know, it has to be for the speech. It, it's meant for the speech with which we disagree. And and yeah, there there are places where we restrict speech, right? Defamation, fraud, obscenity, kitty porn, stuff like that. But, you know, and incitement is the one that's closest to what they were talking about in the case. There's this famous case, Brandenburg, that we actually talked about in our class, that where incitement really has to mean imminent lawless action. And uh-huh. even having swastikas wasn't that, according to the courts. And, and so, yeah, it is, I, I have evolved, I guess is fair to say, but there are some challenging issues, you know, we see right now, I don't know if you saw in front of Disney World, there were a bunch of knuckleheads with swastikas. And there's a part of me that wants to laugh at them. I don't know if you saw that. There was a great guy protesting the some you know radical right wingers in DC, some Proud Boys and related people, and he was basically making fun of how they dress and how they never got out of the basement of their mom. And it was it was you know that's almost the way you need to defeat these guys just by making fun of them. Yeah, though I think that people made fun of Hitler. Right. And, yes. So. Yes. So there and, and the movie, you know, in the Skokie movie, it, it showed, you know, this interesting, you know, you had the Holocaust folks who are also alive with numbers of their arms who were ignoring the ADL guy who said, you know, let's just quarantine them, you know, ignore them, leave them alone. And they said exactly what you said is, you know, in the 30s, we were told to do the same thing by the organized Jewish community. And that yeah. didn't end well. Yeah. Though I I find that, you know, the organized Jewish community, like when there is a case, there was a case in the Bloomfield Hills High School. We might have brought this up already, but in in one of the high schools, it was supposed to be a DEI session. So everyone, all the kids were required to be there and they felt they couldn't leave the room. It was planned by the students. Instead, a Palestinian activist, and again, I'm very... As a big of a Zionist I am, I consider myself part of that as being pro-Palestinian. We can we can talk about that another time. But this woman laid into Israel and really hurt people, whether you want to consider it anti-Semitic because of, you know, you know, or just because it demonized Israel, but it was very painful and hurtful. And the Jewish community exploded after that. And 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 in the end, the principal's gone, the superintendent's gone. <laughs> now, also, the Muslim community and the Arab American community was not happy because they felt the school, after this Palestinian activist spoke at four different sessions demonizing Israel, they felt she was stifled. So they were angry. So everyone <laughs> was angry. But, you know, we do have, people do speak up very loudly. And on the other hand, like you said, like, I think it's important for, to find the right venues for people to to speak up and express themselves and not feel that they're stifled. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yeah. Yeah. Like let, let people talk about it, but let's find some venues, the right venues, not a obligatory DEI session, which should be about love and respect, 
and not demonizing different people. How do we, you know, let people open up and say things even that are hurtful to each other, but in a kind of respectful way? I don't know. It's a challenge. Well, this person, Fatima Musa Muhammad, did not exactly get it right. She was the commencement speaker at CUNY Law School. And do you pronounce it CUNY? How do you pronounce that? Yeah, I think CUNY. We'll do CUNY. We can, right. you know, people will let people write in if they. And then, open. you know, it was supposed to be a, a, a few minute commencement speech and turned, you know, double or triple the time. And she brought out all the usual suspects, you know, fascist. NYPD and U.S. military, and then Israel indiscriminatorily, you know, rained bullets and bombs, and Israeli settler colonialism, and you know, she had a interesting, you know, Twitter space before that about Zionists burning in hell in the hottest pit of hell, and glory to the martyrs, and things like that. And she gets up and and gives this presentation at the commen- commencement speak, and now you've got the. You know, Jewish groups calling on the New York bar to say she should not be a lawyer anymore because of the character and fitness test. There's been congressmen who are writing about what's known as Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which normally prohibits based on race, color, and national origin. But, you know, I guess we can say one or two good things about Trump. There was an executive order called yeah. uh, 13899, talk about combating anti-Semitism which stretched that rule, which didn't really apply to religion, but kind of stretched it a little bit to apply to wow. anti-Semitism. So we, are been- an ethnic, we are an ethnic group. We're a family. We're discriminated against. We're treated like an yeah. ethnic group. We're not treated like a, just a religion. You know, but yeah. I- John, and so the congressmen uh-huh. are calling are calling for the school to be defunded. And these other folks are calling for her to be disbarred before she's even barred. I think it's going a little too far. I was thinking, what would I do if I was in the crowd at at the time? My first instinct would be to stand up and turn my back and stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, I'd block the people behind me. So my my new <laughs> approach would be go to the aisle and stand up and turn my back while she was speaking. Wow. Okay. Very powerful. Uh, powerful. <laughs> you wouldn't run up and storm the stage like they did at uh, Roger, whatever, Walter Waters, Roger, what's his Roger name? Waters, right, from Waters? Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I, I wouldn't give her that much credit. You know, I I read somewhere, maybe you can correct me, that the school actually, actually vetted the speech that they... Yeah, so they said they did, but it's unclear whether they vetted the speech she gave or the speech she gave them, and then and then played some jazz, if you will, when she got up the stage uh-huh. to add some Mishnah and Gomorrah to, <laughs> to to her original thoughts that were vetted. You know, a lot of this really is the they shouldn't have allowed. You know, they they should have seen her, you know, like her Twitter feed, and they should have said she is not appropriate. There is an element like, and I, on the one hand, that's where I defend the students. Like, what do high school students know? What do college students know? Even graduate students, you can't expect that much from them. You expect that the adults in the room will be sensitive and will take a stand. And yes, if, if one of the administrators took a stand and said, this person should not speak, Okay, then I know I'm sure the students would protest, but, you know, adults have to stand up. And that's why I don't mind. I think the school is at fault. I think the school's at fault. You know, whether she should be disbarred, maybe it should be like, 
she should be have to be retrained, you know, and like spend a year training. Yeah, bring her to the Holocaust Museum for a year and have her force her to attend my class. Well, to to your point, the the board of trustees at the school called it hate speech after the fact, but I think that's tempered a bit by the fact that the previous year, I think the law faculty approved a a resolution around BDS. Yeah, that I I you know it's very sad. I feel I feel sad for people that care about for I first of all I feel sad for the Palestinians. That's what it is because people that are supporting BDS are doing them no good. And actually, do you read about now every European country from Finland to Sweden to Netherlands, they all need military equipment from Israel. Of course, Germany, it's like in the billions of dollars. And they're all, the boat has sailed with the Abraham Accords and with Europe needing Israel so much, besides the gas, natural gas that is it, that Europe needs, like they're not going to kowtow to Palestinian demands and to irrational demands like BDS. So you're telling, you know, so I just feel that I wish Palestinians would rise up and say to these professors, you're doing us no favors with, you know, your obstructionism, with your vilification of Israel, you're doing nobody any good. So anyway, all of these countries in the Abraham Accords, they're having less and less and less friends in that they thought that they were going to be able to rely on all those countries to say Palestine first, and then we'll make peace. And, you know, depending on who you ask, I suppose, BB and and maybe Jared. <laughs> right, right. right. I'm not sure how Jared really played a role, but, you know, flipped that on its head and started with the Arab countries. And, you know, my, my son and all his friends are in Israel right now mm-hmm. and uh, saw some pictures of the, the Tel Aviv gay pride parade, yeah. you know, which is like attracts, you know, quarter of a million people. All I could think of is the, the gay pride parade in Gaza City and how well that would work out for them. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, and you know, you can only, you can do talk about pink washing and this washing and that washing and, you know, say, oh, well, Israel's just using them to, you know, justify their action. But it only goes so far. And at a certain point, it's, you know, it's just people are delusional and, and obsessed with Israel and they don't care. So anyway, I'm glad those parades actually got off well. And that also, John, is an example of freedom of speech. You know, you can live in a country, you can, whatever you think of that, you know, whatever side you are on these issues, you just gotta let people express themselves and be themselves. My my daughter's in Kinky Boots in the, the, the show, which is all about cross-dressers and just feeling good about themselves. So <laughs> even though it was rained out tonight, but I'm... Um, <laughs> Still, just be yourself and let other people be themselves. And certainly, I'm a libertarian. Just you know, don't bother me. Just be yourself. Yeah, but I also I also have to draw the line when the at the White House ceremony when when one of them took their shirt off and started jiggling their breasts. You know, there there's got to be a line drawn somewhere. I hope. Yeah, I like you know, John. I like your news feed better than mine. I don't. You know, I feel some allusion to that, but I'm impressed. Yeah, don't don't ask how I hear about these things. Well, so we haven't talked about. I know we back a few weeks ago when we we're trying to climb up the the slippery slope that is the Jewish podcast list, and we're we're aiming for the Chafetz Chaim, who is a few podcasts above us. Uh, this this master of 
of of good speech in halacha and Jewish law, and we promised that we would delve into it. Now seems like the perfect time. Yeah, absolutely, because I think when we're talking about, I mean, we talk a lot about free speech and about response. I think what we're really also talking about the the two sides. Of it. One side is free speech, and the other side is responsibility for your speech, and they really go together. Like if you are so at a, figure out how to speak in a way, um, basically, that is not destructive. And that really is Lashon Hara. That's really the, the ultimate violation is destructive speech, is speech done to hurt someone. Because even according to the Chafetz Chaim and, and Halacha, Jewish law, if there is, there are two things. If there is a to'elet, if there is a benefit to what you're saying, that it's not about harming someone, it's not with that purpose, but it's about protecting someone. So warning someone, the, you know, the example is you get a mechanic who destroys your car and next time, you know, tell someone wants to use that mechanic, you might say, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying my car dropped after two blocks, but. Yeah, and you're not doing it to harm. So if you're not doing it because you want to harm that mechanic, if you want to take revenge against that mechanic and you really want to give it to him, that's Lashon Hara. That's unacceptable. But if you're just protecting someone, then that's not Lashon Hara. But the other side is also so important. I think it's so relevant to today's world. Because halachically, according to Jewish law, you are not allowed to accept as the truth some something negative that someone says about someone else. So when I hear something that this person is bad, this person is this, and person is that, it's on me also. It's certainly on the person who is acting in a hurtful way, is, is spreading gossip to hurt someone. But for me, the hearer of gossip I am not allowed to accept that as the truth. I can say, oh, yellow light, <laughs> beware, I got to be careful, you yeah. know, and and this person, whether it's the mechanic, whether it's the, for this, this media outlet has spewed lies, okay? You can, but I cannot accept it as the truth. And I think one of the issues today in our world is that people are accepting such mishigas, such nonsense as the truth. In some ways, you know, people are not cynical enough. Like, say, okay, I hear what you say. I'm going to accept it as it's a warning, but I'm not going to accept it as the gospel truth, as the truth. And so I think that's another, it's a very helpful thing. The person's not out to speak hateful speech, hurtful speech. And when we hear it, we got to take everything with a grain of salt. Like, okay, maybe, maybe not. So I think maybe there are good reasons to have top secret documents in my toilet. <laughs> maybe well, there's great reasons for that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that, but, but, okay, you got me there, John. That's a tough one. That's a real <laughs> tough one. But, you know, again, just to, again, you can have the impression like, this is someone I probably don't want to vote for to be president again, <laughs> definitely. But again, always really give people the benefit of the doubt. 
again, not to the extent that you're harming anyone or harming yourself, but give people the benefit of the doubt. So frequently I'll say, you know, this person, you know, oh, I met with this person and I'm so excited. And I might say that, you know, talk to some this other person about this person. I, I have some, you know, worries or something. But again, it can never be about harming someone to hurt someone. And that's like, really like killing them. And, and, and it really leads to the downfall of society. But I do want to say one other thing, and that is Rabbi Rockoff of Blessed Memory. He was a kind of a out of the box thinker in our synagogue. And he had his own shul. Then when no one, people stopped coming, he came to our shul. <laughs> and um, he had to become a civilian. Exactly. So he felt that there is a place for Lashon Hara because it's a corrective, because how do you, how does society protect itself from people that do bad things? You know, yes, you have a system, a legal system, but sometimes the powerful people do bad things. And the only way to stop them or to give them, you know, a disincentive for doing bad things is is they know that people are going to gossip. And, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So there is a purpose in it, but as an individual, you can never, you've got to get away from trying to hurt people and trying to only protect people. And, and you know, that kind of using our language only in a positive, protect, protective way. Right, because I remember reading Hafez Chaim's book, and guard your tongue. And when I finished reading it, I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't have read this because now I am thinking about all the things that I should not be saying and I can't say anything anymore. It's so, you know, depending on how you look at it, restrictive, aspirational, whatever you want to use as a term there, it, it's difficult to manage. So, so for example, if you were asked by a politician in Israel, or God willing, someday the first Jewish presidential candidate, you know, here in America, who wanted to adhere <laughs> as closely as possible to these rules. How can you be a politician and observant and try to comport with this stuff? And yet the whole name of the game is slamming your your opponents. Yeah, I mean, that's well, like Chris Christie, that he really, you know, that he was the tough one in 2016 and harmed himself because of that but he was, but he, he was he's the master at it he's back and, and i've yeah, been watching his stuff he yeah. is a master at it but you know he's also become a little kinder and gentler in the, the cnn town hall where I, I i saw him i think yeah it's really well i guess that's what you leave to the super packs you know, like, you know, <laughs> you, you outsource the Lush and Hara. <laughs> let them say the bad stuff. But, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, they say with politics saying the, the positive stuff it doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't work as well. So it's, it's challenge though. Joe Lieberman, I don't think he ever had a negative campaign. I don't know. I'd like to look into that, but he's such a nice guy. And, you know, I don't think even, you know, even his debate with Cheney was very cordial. Yeah. So, you know, I think there are successful politicians who are very positive. You know, again, Reagan, I'm sure he did have negative ads about car. There you go again. But I guess I guess it it is it politics is a challenge and it's a difficult <laughs> in so many ways. 
But, but, you know, a lot of it's really attitude. It's really attitude. Do you want to help people? Do you want to hurt people? Do you want to, what's your goal? Is your goal vengeance and anger or is your goal love? And, you know, in speaking in a, in a real loving way. And I, I, you know, it sounds very schmaltzy that way, but I think that there is a, a shift that we have to get through. People are so pent up anger and frustration and Lashon, that's really like, like, Lashon HaRa is really literally bad tongue, bad language, angry, hateful language. It's got to be, you know, shifted over. But I did hear that, I hear from one teacher, I don't know if it's what the story is, you know, going to be cynical, but that 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 actually the Chavetz Chaim did talk a lot because he wanted to show you can say <laughs> wonderful, positive things. So. Do you think the Chavetz Chaim would allow for restaurant reviews? Yeah. Right, that's a real challenge, you know. And, and by the way, like you said, you could do lashon hara in in a positive way. You can what damn people by faint praise, kind of. So right. yeah, like it's interesting. What do you do when your parnasa, when your income is about critiquing critiquing restaurants and and when you really do again, maybe it's really the attitude that you know you use. But there is a yeah, I think like do you go on, are you supposed to go again, I think that you do go on Yelps or whatever those things are to if you have an issue with a hotel to warn people. But do it in as kind a way as possible. It wasn't the greatest soup in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the meat wasn't cooked entirely. But I think that the big, uh, a, another issue side by side with Lashon Hara is that we have to be a little less, a little more open to hearing people, even if it's things that are hurtful to us. That, you know, when people let, sometimes we don't let people speak enough and let it out. And we have to find just going back, like, the right venues for that, for letting people speak and share their ideas. And even if, you know, we're going to cause some pain to each other, I think that's got to be a little different category than Lashon Hara. And actually, I would put that in the category of Reversal Schechter, great Rav at Yeshiva University taught this, that the Talmud says, if you have things that are building up inside of you, you know, like frustrations, get a friend and let it out. You know, let it out. Even if it's, I hate this person because find someone. So you're never supposed to, you know, you're never supposed to hate your beloved, your friend inside your heart. You got to find a way, the right path of letting it out. And sometimes maybe that's really the the challenge that it, it in one way can be destructive in Lashon Hara, the other way could be just a way of you expressing yourself and being able to do that. So you have to find really the right path for some of the passions and the powerful things that we have inside of us. And it sounds like, and maybe I'm trying to just be too optimistic here, it sounds like we're planting some seeds that seem to be sprouting about maybe we've turned a corner, at least in this country. And even in Israel, you know, the, the protests seem to have died down civility seems to be slowly slowly coming back and i'm wondering if if the fever has broken both here in the states and in israel yet what do you think wow that's a beautiful thought and 
Yeah, I think the 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 default, you know, the whole by you know bipartisan vote in Congress to avoid defaulting on our loans. That was an example, really, of the moderates beat out the the extremists and people. You know, McCarthy. I was skeptical of him for a lot. He doesn't. He doesn't always come across and as, as he's no know. he's no profile in courage. Yeah, and he doesn't come across as the super sharp guy, but. This one he pulled through, and it might be what you're saying, John, that that really the country wants to work things out and wants to move forward. They also didn't, they voted against what impeaching Schiffman, whatever, you know. Adam uh, Schiff. Adam Schiff, sorry, Adam Schiff. So, you know, that that's a good sign. And yeah, I mean, even, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying some more reasonable things. So maybe there is a change. No, I don't know what what news sources you're following to get that result. I can't wait to hear that. But what about Israel? What are you hearing over there? I mean, I, I asked my son and he got the impression that things weren't as bad as they were a few months ago. Yeah. I, I Well, from what I heard that when, when Netanyahu was going to fire his defense minister, then things really got to and, and Netanyahu got really scared. And I'm I'm heading for Israel soon in a couple of days. So I will check it out myself and maybe connect with Jake if we can. But if, but I do, I think that people, a lot of people are seeing, you know, Nebuch, Netanyahu, he's losing it. He's weak. He's this, he's that. I think it's a in typical Netanyahu fashion. He's making kind of thing. He's, he's working out a compromise. And yeah, I think that the forces I mean, there are a lot of worrying things in Israel, and and I, I worry about Ben Gvir taking over a yeah, private militia or creating a private militia. But I think you're right. I think slowly things are kind of simmering down and and really working in the way a coalition government is supposed to work, where it's not all powerful. And we'll see. You know, it, during Ramadan, we were really afraid that there'd be a you know. Even the the police, the beginning of Ramadan, it seemed that the police were not handling the situation on the Temple Mount very well on Al-Aqsa. But by the middle, it seemed that they were doing a much better job. So maybe there is, like you're saying, a wind of compromise and love and, and just being a little bit more accommodating that is blowing on the world. But I just heard that 42% of executives think that Artificial intelligence is going to be the end of mankind within five to 10 years. So. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked about that yet. Is AI going to take the place of folks like you? Well, I think that, <laughs> oh no, but I think, I think that the challenge is people that just want to come up with a bunch of Jewish sources as a sermon or as a class, they're going to be challenged a little bit. But if you really want to think, think creatively and in nuanced ways, then I think we have a, at least a couple more years left in the rabbinate. Because you have Safaria that seems to do a pretty good job of getting close to that. Yeah. And and people could look up even, I mean, for years now, Barilan, the their projects, you can you really look things up. You know, this is 13 times this is mentioned in the Talmud and 15 times. <laughs> but... I think the challenge is it's it's a good challenge. You got to be more creative and more thoughtful 
and more nuanced. And that's where the rabbinate can shine, more sensitive to human needs. You know, the great posting, the great halachic authorities, legal, Jewish legal decisors, they're the ones always that understood that the, the poor woman who asked you the question, is her chicken kosher or not, is different than the person that can afford another chicken. So I that, don't, don't ask me about the chicken, ask me about the woman. That's the line, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's really where AI, I don't think, can can do the right job. And I think we still, but but so that it's good. It's a good challenge. We're not supposed to be like computers and robots. We're really supposed to be, you know, thoughtful and and use our humanity. Now, I don't know, one day computers might have that. So I don't know, but not yet. Well, we, we just saw in, in my field, a lawyer tried to do a response based on AI and the AI generated three cases that did not exist. And even when he asked the AI to say, are you sure these cases exist? The AI said, yes, it does. And he submitted it and he's in deep, deep, deep trouble now. Fascinating. Yeah, it's chutzpah. I guess that's the one thing AI has gotten, chutzpah. Well, it gets back to what you said earlier. You know, test the theory of the the knowledge that's being conveyed to you. Right, right, exactly. And I'd recommend that old 2001 Space Odyssey, which my kids felt it was like so slow. It was torture, but... (laughs) Great there, you know, how the computer yep. tried to take over. But, you know, I, but I, again, I think God gave the Torah not to angels and not to computers, but to human beings. And with all our faults and all our weaknesses, in some ways, those are strengths, I think. I love it. What a great way to end on a happy, positive note. Look yeah. at us. Let's they, just hope people don't think of us as Neville, Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> they will not replace us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Asher, this has been great. Have a wonderful, safe trip to Israel. We can't wait to hear stories. Oh, thanks so much. And really love to everybody. And we'll speak to you soon. We'll do this again soon. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.